0: Break your leg Alright so in today's video we're going to look at the next dot point which is children and young athletes so this is actually our first dot point that we're covering in the next critical question which uh, reads how does sports medicine address the demands of specific athletes so there are three um, specific athletes that we're going to go through over the next three videos um, and you may get a question on any one of the three in your assessments so our first one today is children and young athletes which i've already said On the left-hand side, the students learn about, so this is the stuff that we're gonna take our notes on. It says you're gonna learn about medical conditions, such as asthma, diabetes, and epilepsy, overuse injuries, like stress fractures, uh, thermoregulation, and appropriateness of resistance training. On the right-hand side, so what do you need to learn too? So this is the stuff that can be applied in your assessments, so you need to analyze the implications of each of these considerations for the ways young people engage in sport how each is managed. Let's do it. <coughs> all right, so for the intro, we need to understand that children are not little adults. All right. So if an adult has asthma and a child has asthma, you don't manage the asthma the same way. All right? um, you may have heard already like just use, using asthma as an example, which I'll actually go on to talk about in a minute. Um, But a lot of adults will grow out of asthma. Now, it's not not just that you're growing out of asthma. What is happening is your body becomes obviously more capable of dealing with health um, problems as you get older, um, and therefore you're able to manage them. So it's no longer a health problem. I was a really bad asthmatic kid. Um, You know, I had both uh, a reliever uh, puffer and a preventative puffer, and I would be like on them all the time. And then, I don't know, year eight, year nine, just, just stopped, didn't need it anymore. It's good, never needed it um, since. So therefore children are not little adults and that's something you need to include in your answers because what is happening is their bodies, so their organs, their muscles and their bones are still developing. So their bodies are still learning um, how to physically be prepared and be able to manage everyday situations. Children cannot regulate their own health as effectively as adults um, and therefore children have specific needs and considerations when exercising. Let's keep going. Okay, so our first medical condition that we're looking at for children is asthma. So asthma is a narrowing of the airways which can make breathing difficult, so you should remember what asthma is from your year 11 work. Physical activity, okay, is a significant trigger for asthmatics and we call that exercise-induced asthma, which you might want to write down, which I didn't write there. Other triggers for asthma, which can add to the problem, okay, so if you're doing physical activity and there's these other things around, then you have a much higher risk of getting or having an asthma attack, include cold, dry air, pollen and pollution. So like when you watch the news in the morning, you see the weather, Um, you know, a lot of time it will tell you the pollen count and the pollution level. And a lot of time you may think, why is that important? Why do we even care about that? Well, if you're an asthmatic, you care about that. And the other major trigger is intense exercise and prolonged exercise. So doing it for long periods of time. So all of these things are going to add to an individual's risk of having an asthma attack. So what should asthmatics do? Because we know that if you're a child and you have asthma, you shouldn't just avoid physical activity. Uh, on the contrary, you need to be doing as much physical activity as possible, so you can actually strengthen your lungs and strengthen your um, airways. So asthmatics should, a well, one, adequately warm up. All right, so asthmatics manage to do a longer warm up or a more gradual warm up, as opposed to um, most other people. They should also rest frequently. Okay, so avoiding this prolonged exercise. So maybe having uh, more frequent rest breaks um, in between their bouts of exercise. They should avoid exercise in cold, dry air, high pollution or high pollen um, areas, much like this, so you're avoiding this thing. And they should take their preventive medication prior to exercise. So not during exercise when they feel it coming on, they should take it prior to exercise, hence why it's called preventative medication. And they should take it according to their asthma management plan. Now that's going to differ for every individual and that's um, a document which is read up by a doctor. And the final bit here is a bit of advice. Um, so what asthmatics should do, as an example. Swimming in heated pools is highly encouraged as it, um, as it encourages deep breathing from the asthmatics. So when you're taking, you know, you put your face underwater, take your three strokes, and then you put your head to the side and you breathe, nice big breath, um, and the air above the water, because it's heated, um, is warm, but also humidified, humidified being moist. So having that nice warm, Wet air going into your lungs in big breaths will not only strengthen your lungs because swimming, we know, is a, is a very good during endurance ex- activity, um, but all of those things actually work against you having an asthma attack. So that's asthma. Let's move on. So our next medical condition is diabetes. So when we're talking about diabetes with children, we're generally talking about type one. Type one diabetes. So that's basically diabetes, um, which is genetic and you're you're born with it. It doesn't mean you're bad because you did bad things. So type one diabetes, it's a condition that inhibits the absorption and regulation of glucose in the bloodstream. So once again, this is information from year 11, but in a nutshell, when you eat food, particularly when you eat carbohydrate-containing foods, whether that's, um, you know, bread, pasta, rice, sugar, corn, those types of things, barley, you know, whatever. When you eat carbohydrate-containing foods, um, it goes into your stomach, it's digested, and then the glucose from that carbohydrate is then traveled into your bloodstream and then your bloodstream shovels it around your body puts it into your muscles so that you can do physical activity or it can store it in your muscles for later bouts of physical activity or then it goes through a big process and then just becomes um, fat if you don't use the glucose right it's a a long process you don't need to know it um, for your 12 however in a diabetic person they are unable to absorb and regulate that blood glucose. So what happens is they they eat um, carbohydrate containing foods um, and particularly if it's sugary type foods, which gets a lot of carbohydrates into the bloodstream quickly, um, and they can't shuttle that carbohydrate out of their bloodstream, um, they end up with too much glucose in the bloodstream and then they experience hyperglycemia, which is here. So hyperglycemia, high blood sugar, um, symptoms include thirst, vomiting, rapid pulse. So you've got too much blood sugar in um, your blood. The way to manage hyperglycemia generally is by using your um, insulin medication. So I used to work with a PE teacher who was a type 1 diabetic. Um, she was very healthy, um, but most days after she ate her lunch, she would need to administer her um, insulin. So she actually um, took synthetic insulin in uh, She basically injected it into the fat cells in her stomach here. um, And then that would help her deal with the glucose in a normal manner like you and I would. On the other hand, and this is the one that we're mainly concerned about when we talk about um, children, young athletes and type one diabetes is a hypo episode or hypoglycemia. So hypo is low blood sugar. So what happens is you've got the blood sugar um, in your bloodstream. And then because you're doing physical activity and you're burning off, you know, your blood sugar, but because you also can't regulate the amount of blood sugar, so you're not able to draw more blood sugar from your system to then replace it in your bloodstream like normal people would, they go into um, hyperglycemia, which uh, can lead to collapse and then more severely go unconscious. So what should diabetics do? So first of all, eating balanced diets, especially large, um, large carbohydrate complex, Carbohydrates, so when I say complex, I mean like low GI carbohydrates, so things like whole wheat bread, brown rice, vegetables, those types of things. They have complex carbohydrates, where on the other side, especially spectrum. you've got simple carbohydrates, you know, like lollies, fruit, chips, soft drinks, that kind of stuff. So when they eat a healthy, balanced diet, high in complex carbohydrates, they should be able to monitor their blood glucose levels. Now, this will be a little bit harder depending on the age of the athlete, so their parents may need to help with that, or coaches need to be aware of it. Um, if a diabetic experiences a a hypo, uh, episode and they're still conscious, which is good, you give them glucose. So they're a known diabetic, they're, they're collapsing, but they're still with it. So, um, the PE teacher I used to work with, she used to get really sort of like, sort of like drunk, I guess, um, would be the way to describe it really slurry sort of, you could tell that she was not all there, but. She was still conscious. So we used to have some of this stuff on hand, um, red frogs, glucose tablets, soft drinks, etc. So those simple sugars to get her blood sugar up quickly. Um, and then she would then, once she was feeling better, she'd then take her insulin medication to even it all out again. So that's what we do if children and young athletes who are known diabetics experience an episode. However, if they experience a an hyper-episode and they fall unconscious, you don't do this thing. You follow doctor's ABCD, okay? You're not going to shove things in people's mouths who are unconscious, like tea, Let's go on to our last one, epilepsy. All right, so our last medical condition we're looking at is epilepsy. So epilepsy is a condition where disturbed brain signaling um, causes seizures. All right, so you know that your brain is the main hub for your, all of your nervous system signaling in your body. Um, when those nerves basically get disturbed um, due to either bad pathways or chemicals and hormones, et cetera, Uh, We call that condition epilepsy and therefore what will happen is instead of my brain sending a signal for me to move my hand like this, it will just like rapid fire a whole bunch of signals, which makes me just do these things and therefore that's what we call a seizure. Fatigue, due to physical activity and other reasons, so lack of sleep, etc. And higher body temperature or low body temperature are significant triggers for epilepsy, which is why we cover it in um, U12pHPE. There are two types of seizures that you need to be able to name and known. Um, They're very simple. The grand mal is what we call a large seizure. It is very visible. It is the one where you basically see people and their whole bodies are basically shaking uncontrollably um, and it can go on for a few minutes, if not longer than 10 minutes, but we'll get to that in a minute. The petite mal is at the other end of the spectrum of our seizures. It is very small. Um, It may only last a couple of seconds or sometimes it is completely unrecognisable. So you, you know, your friend could be sitting next to you in a chair there and they could have a petite mouth, it could last five seconds, and the only you know sign that they may have is they might like have a couple of twitches in their eyes and then they're just back to normal again. So epileptics should, <coughs> A, always exercise with supervision, all right? Because you'd hate to be um, alone when you're having a grand mal for no one there to be able to help. Epileptics should also take extra care when they're involved with aquatic activities. Um, Because if you're obviously having a grand mal and you're in a pool, that would be very bad. Um, The other thing about aquatic activities is that we know that low body temperature is a trigger. So being in like the lake or the beach and then having a seizure can be extremely life-threatening. The other thing epileptics should take care of is above ground level activities. So, you know, for example, climbing, rock climbing, stuff like that. Because you're above ground level, you have a seizure, you lose grip and control and you fall. That's bad, that's bad too. So from year 11, if a seizure occurs, allow it to happen. Don't restrain the patient. So basically you move everything away from the patient around and you just let them do their thing. If possible, you can protect the patient. So instead of, so so if a child had a seizure in a classroom, for example, You would obviously move all the tables and chairs away from them, but then if we happen to have a couple of cushions around in the corners of the room, you could put them around the patient, not near their head, but just near their body and stuff to help them stay contained in a safe manner. The last thing is that if seizures last longer than 10 minutes, you need to think that oh, this is, you know, it's a grand mal, but also it's quite um, bad and therefore you need to seek immediate medical attention. So probably calling triple zero for that one. So that's our medical conditions. We've got um, three other dashes to cover for children and young athletes. So if you are asked a question on children and young athletes and medical conditions, you need to be able to talk about all three that I just went through, not just pick and choose one or two. So you need to know all of this stuff. Let's move on. Break your leg, break All right, so our next one is looking at overuse injuries and more particularly stress fractures in children and young athletes. So growth and development imbalances during adolescence can lead to stress fractures. The way that's happening is that because when you're growing and developing, your bones will grow faster than muscles and tendons, all right? So muscle and, you know, ligaments and tendons and stuff are very slow to adapt and change, but they do over time, but the bones are quite quick. So what happens is if if I've got, you know, I've got a tendon that sits on the middle of my, you know, let's use here. So I've got my bicep tendon, it sits on the middle of my radius. Okay. And that radius gets longer. So what's happening is my tendon is still going to attach. So it's not going to grow that quickly that my tendon snaps off. All right. But what would happen is the bone gets longer, but the tendon stays the same length. So it pulls and makes, puts more pressure on that bone than is necessary. Hence why you get stress fractures. The, there are other things that can add to this. So, for example, environmental factors such as using poor equipment, um, which puts you know uneven stress and pressure on parts of your body that shouldn't need it. Um, weather, so exercising in you know rainy weather, for example, um, or cold weather can put more pressure and stress on the body itself. So, therefore, when you're doing your movements, it makes it harder. And playing surfaces, you know, slippery playing surfaces, et cetera, will recruit different and more um, complex muscles and bones in your body to stay upright as opposed to just a script um, surface. And other factors including training program factors such as training too frequently, um, using poor technique in your training, um, so that's when you've got a bad coach and stuff, or doing repetitive movements. So for like, if I was a golfer and all I did all day was just practice my um, driving, for hours on end, okay, that's repetitive movement and that will definitely lead to some type of imbalance, but especially in kids, we're gonna look at a stress fracture there. So to avoid getting stress fractures, because we still want kids to be active and healthy. So children should engage in multiple sports and activities to balance out their muscle bone usage. So it's okay if I'm a golfer and I go and I do an hour of driving practice, but after I do that, I should probably also go and play some soccer. Um, which uses my legs and then i might want to do some swimming some breaststroke or something and then I also might want to do um, some i don't know crossfit type stuff so you push up sit-ups and all that kind of stuff so children need to recruit all of their muscles and bones in their body so they don't get imbalances all right their training program should include some type of conditioning so conditioning is you know looking at just you're improving your fitness aspects not necessarily just skill aspects um, and stretching. So stretching, if we know that bones are growing faster than muscles and tendons, we can encourage tendon lengthening um, through stretching. Children should have adequate rest, so they shouldn't be exercising um, or doing the same movement every day. Right? So if I, if I play golf, touch football and swimming, I shouldn't do golf five days in a row and then just one day of touch football, one day of swimming. I should mix it up. To adequately rest my bones and muscles in between and children more particularly should have adequate footwear so that will help place because your point of contact with the earth is your feet most of the time and therefore you want to make sure that when you do make contact with the feet you are having a balanced contact with your feet and you're not off balance because your footwear sucks one more thermoregulation no sorry two more All right, so our next consideration for children analysis is thermoregulation. So remember, thermoregulation is your body's ability to regulate its body temperature, or its core body temperature, 37.4 degrees. Children have smaller limbs, so their legs and arms aren't as long as like adults. They have less developed sweat glands and they have less muscular development in their bodies. Because of these things, they therefore hold less fluid in their body, all right? and they also have a larger skin surface ratio. So you put all these things together. So let's, let's just take an adult arm against a child's arm. So relative to their body, to their height, okay, so we're talking about relatively, their arm will be shorter, their biceps, triceps, um, wrist flexors and extenders will be smaller, so the muscles in their actual arm will be smaller, and because water is held in muscles, therefore they don't have as much fluid in their arm despite it being a smaller size. However, their skin is generally pretty similar to an adult, the sizing of it. Therefore, less muscle, more skin means that they can more easily dehydrate from activity, okay? And cannot regulate their body temperature through sweating as adults can. Now you will learn later on that sweating is the most efficient way for the adult body to um, thermoregulate. Children cannot do this nowhere near as efficiently as adults can. That's why you actually see a lot of kids when they want to cool off, um, the natural thing for them to do is like splash water on their face or splash water in their hair and on their back and whatever, but you don't see adults do that anymore because we have um, very efficient bodies for sweating to avoid thermoregulation issues, such so as like heat stress, okay? Children should avoid exercise in the middle of the day or extreme temperatures. By the way, this is why most kids' sports are in the mornings or in the afternoons. Children should wear loose, light clothing, and children should be given regular rest breaks um, and water breaks as well. Cool. One more point. So, last point we need to know about children and young athletes is resistance training, and is it appropriate for ch- children and young athletes to engage in resistance training? All right. So, body weight exercise is an excellent way for children to engage in resistance training, and it's actually recommended by the Australian Physical Activity Guidelines that so they do that twice a week. We know that um, resistance training is excellent for muscular development, but also bone development, um, hormone production, etc. So, everybody should not just children, children your age adults elderly people resistance training is actually becoming the holy grail of what exercise should be um, on top of some cardio respiratory injury and stuff too however injury so talking about severe injury like broken femurs broken tibias fibias, like major cracks in muscles um sorry major cracks in bones muscles crack uh, can actually cause stunted growth. So, you, you may have heard before that, oh, kids doing weights causes stunted growth. Well, that's not true. What causes stunted growth is injury. And it's not just from resistance training. Children who are injured in any sport severely with like major fractures and breaks can have stunted growth. It's not just based around resistance training. And also, the injury itself can cause major development imbalances as well as if you're doing resistance training inappropriately, so not according to these guidelines, you may have major developmental imbalances, which can have major dramas for your body when you get to my age. So to avoid these bad things so that we can get all the benefits from resistance training in children and young athletes. Children and young athletes should lift weights are light so we are talking about body weight but if they are going to use a weight itself it must be light so that's 60% of one repetition maximum so you should remember this terminology from your 11 so 1RM if, if something is a 1RM it means I can only lift it once so you're doing about just over half of whatever that weight would be so you can do it multiple times and the multiple times we're looking at are here and our higher reps which is somewhere between the 15 and 30 rep sets that's a lot of reps but the the lot of reps means that you'll still get the benefit of resistance training without putting that risk of something going bad. Children and young athletes should be coached to use impeccable techniques, so everything should be like pristine, the way you would watch it on a YouTube video that was actually good. Mind you, there's a lot of bad stuff on YouTube. Using a full range of motion, okay? So, no, no like half squatting or quarter squatting or, you know, arched back deadlifting or, you know, whatever bad techniques you can think of, okay? It should be impeccable, textbook. With a full range of motion, because children shouldn't have lost any flexibility yet. Um, I say that, but then we do flexibility testing sometimes in high school kids, and it's really bad. Anyway, and the major take home from all of these guidelines and everything is that yes, it's an appropriate avoiding the one to five repetition maximum rep range. Okay, so that is like strength, like strength and powerlifting type stuff, has a purpose at the Olympics and has a purpose in its own sport, does not have a purpose at all for children. And that was our video on the considerations for children and young athletes. So if you're given a question in the HSC or in your assessment tasks on children and young athletes, you need to be able to talk about all of the things that have, I've gone through in this video with why it's a problem and suggested ways to avoid it with examples. Cool, thanks, bye.